Section 23 of Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 17. Mr. Maysfield's Secret. Mr. Maysfield, as a poet, has the secret of popularity. Has he also the secret of poetry? I confess his poems often seem to me to invite the admirably just verdict which Geoffrey delivered on Wordsworth's excursion. This will never do. We miss in his lines the onward march of poetry. His individual phrases carry no cargoes of wonder. His art is not of the triumphant order that lifts us off our feet. As we read the first half of his narrative sea poem, Dauber, we are again and again moved to impatience by the sheer literary left-handedness of the author. There are so many unnecessary words so many unnecessary sentences of the latter we have an example in the poet's reflection as he describes the fiery fishes that raced dauber's ship by night in the southern seas what unknown joy was in those fish unknown it is one of those superfluous thoughts which appear to be suggested less by the thing described than by the need of filling up the last line of the verse similarly when dauber as the ship's lampman and painter is nicknamed regards the miracle of a ship at sea in moonlight and exclaims my lord my god how beautiful it is we feel that he is only lengthening into a measured line the my god how beautiful it is of prose a line like this indeed is merely prose that has learned the goose step of poetry perhaps one would not resent it and many others like it so much if it were not that mr maysfield so manifestly aims at realism of effect his narrative is meant to be as faithful to commonplace facts as a policeman's evidence in a court of law. We are not spared even the old familiar expletives. Wendauber's paintings, for example, for he is an artist as well as an artisan, have been destroyed by the malice of the crew, and he questions the boatswain about it. The boatswain turned i'll give you a thick ear do it i didn't get to hell from here similarly when the mate taking up the brush makes a sketch of a ship for dauber's better instruction god sir the boatswain said you do her fine ay said the mate i do so by the lord and when the whole crew gathers round to impress upon dauber the fact of his incompetence you hear the boatswain cried you cannot do it a gospel truth the cook said true as hell 
here obviously the very letter of realism is intended here too it may be added we have as well-meaning an array of oaths as was ever set out in literature when mr kipling repeats a soldier's oath he seems to do so with a chuckle of appreciation when mr maysfield puts down the oaths of sailors he does so rather as a melancholy duty he swears not like a trooper but like a virtuous man he does not as so many realists do love the innumerable coarsenesses of life which he chronicles that is what makes his oaths often seem as innocent as the conversation of elderly sinners echoed on the lips of children he has a splendid innocence of purpose indeed he wishes to give us the prosaic truth of actual things as a kind of correspondence to the poetic truth of spiritual things of which they are the setting and the frame or it may be that he repeats these oaths and all the rest of it simply as a part of the technicalities of life at sea he certainly shows a passion for technicalities hardly less than mr kipling's own he tells us for instance how in the height of the fury of frost and surge and gale round cape horn at last at last they frapped the cringled crojic's icy pelt in frozen bulge and bunt they made it fast and again when the storm was over and dauber had won the respect of his mates by his manhood we have an almost unintelligible verse describing how the boatswain in a mood of friendship set out to teach him some of the cunning of the sea then while dauber counted boatswain took some marlin from his pocket here he said you want to know square senate so fash look eight foxes take and stop the ends with thread i've known an engineer would give his head to no square senate as the boast began the dauber felt promoted to a man mr masefield has generously provided six pages of glossary at the end of his poem where we are told the meaning of futok shrouds poop break scuttlebutt mud hooks and other items in the jargon of the sea so much for mr maysfield's literary method let me be equally frank about his genius and confess at once that in any serious estimate of this all i have said will scarcely be more relevant than the charge against burke that he had a clumsy delivery mr masefield has given us in dauber a poem of genius one of the great storm pieces of modern literature a poem that for imaginative infectiousness challenges comparison with the prose of mr conrad's typhoon to criticize its style takes us no nearer its ultimate secret than piling up examples of bathos takes us to the secret of wordsworth 
or talking about maniacal construction and characterization takes us to the secret of dostoevsky there is no use pretending that the methods of these writers are good because their achievements are good on the other hand compared with the marvel of achievement the faultiness of method in each case sinks into a matter almost of indifference mr maysfield gives us in dauber a book of revelation if he does this in verse that is often merely prose crooked into rhyme if he does it with a hero who is at first almost as bowelless a human being and as much an appeal for pity as smike in nicholas nickleby that is his affair in art more than anywhere else the end justifies the means and the end of dauber is vision intense terrible pitiful heroic vision here we have in literature what poor dauber himself aimed at putting down on his inexpert canvases a revealing of passionate men in battle with the sea high on an unseen stage shaking and reeling and men through him would understand their feeling their might their misery their tragic power and all by suffering pain a little hour that verse suggests both the kind and the degree of mr maysfield's sensitiveness as a recorder of the life of the sea his is the witness less of a doer than of a sufferer he is not a reveller in life he is one rather who has found himself tossed about in the foaming tides of anguish and who clings with a desperate faith to some last spar of beauty or heroism he is a martyr to the physical as well as to the spiritual pain of the world he communicates to us not only the horror of humiliation but the horror of a numbed boy cut to the ghost by the polar gale as high in the yards dauber fights against the ship's doom having been ordered up when sails and spars were flying and going mad among the stars how well too he imparts the dread and the danger of the coming storm as the ship gets nearer the horn all through the windless night the clipper rolled in a great swell with oily gradual heaves which rolled her down until her time bells tolled clang and the weltering water moaned like beeves and the next verse reiterates the prophecies of the moving waters like the march of doom came those great powers of marching silences then fog came down dead cold and hid the seas the night was spent in dread of fog in dread of ice and the ship seemed to respond to the dread of the men 
as her horn called out into the impenetrable wilderness of mists and waters she bayed there like a solitary hound lost in a covert morning came bringing no release from fear so the night passed but then no morning broke only a something showed that night was dead a seabird cackling like a devil spoke and the fog drew away and hung like lead like mighty cliffs it shaped sullen and red like glowering gods at watch it did appear and sometimes drew away and then drew near then suddenly swooped down the immense black fiend of the storm catching as the boatswain put it the ship in her ball dress the blackness crunched all memory of the sun henceforth we have a tale of white fear changing into heroism as dauber clamors to his giddy place in the rigging and goes out on the yard to his task sick at the mighty space of air displayed below his feet where soaring birds were wheeling it was all a withering rush of death an orgy of snow ice and howling seas the snow whirled the ship bowed to it the gear lashed the sea tops were cut off and flung down smashed tatters of shouts were flung the rags of yells and clang 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 below beat the two bells how magnificent a flash of the fury of the storm we get when the dauber looks down from his scramblings among rigging and snap spars and sees the deck filled with white water as though heaped with snow in that line we seem to behold the beautiful face of danger a beauty that is in some way complementary to the beauty of the endurance of ships and the endurance of men for the ship is saved and so is the dauber's soul and the men who had been bullies in hours of peace reveal themselves as heroes in stress and peril dauber it will be seen is more than an exciting story of a storm it is a spiritual vision of life it is a soul's confession it is mr masefield's de profundis it is a parable of trial a chant of the soul that has emerged out of the iron time it is a praise of life not for its own sake but for the spiritual mastery which its storms and dangers bring it is a paean of survival the ship weathers the storm to go boldly forward again a great gray sea was running up the sky desolate birds flew past their mewings came as that lone water's spiritual cry its forlorn voice its essence its soul's name the ship limped in the water as if lame then in the forenoon watch to a great shout more sail was made the reefs were shaken out 
not even the death of the dauber in a wretched accident defeats our sense of divine and ultimate victory to some readers this fatality may seem a mere luxury of pathos but it is an essential part of the scheme of the poem the poet must state his acceptance of life not only in its splendid and tragic dangers but in its cruelty and pathetic wastefulness he must know the worst of it in order to put the best of it to the proof the worst passes the best continues that is the secret enthusiasm of mr maysfield's song our final vision is of the ship in safety holding her course to harbor in a fair wind shattering the sea-tops into golden rain the waves bowed down before her like blown grain and as she sits in valparaiso harbor a beautiful thing at peace under the beautiful shadow of the mountain tower snow to the peak our imagination is lifted to the hills to where all night long the pointed mountain pointed at the stars frozen alert austere it is a fine symbol of the aspiration of this book of men's might their misery their tragic power there is something essentially christian and simple in mr maysfield's presentation of life conscious though he is of the pain of the world and aloof from the world though this consciousness sometimes makes him appear he is full of an extraordinary pity and brotherliness for men he wanders among them not with the condescension of so many earnest writers but with the humility almost of one of the early franciscans one may amuse oneself by fancying that there is something in the manner of st francis even in mr maysfield's attitude to his little brothers the swear words he may not love them by nature but he is kind to them by grace they strike one as being the most innocent swear words in literature end of section twenty three Recording by Bill Mosley, Bernardo, Texas, USA.